evening class. My name is Vicki Knuth and I will be your moderator for this evening's Zoom class. This is a school and not a church and neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. The school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year 1958. We hold classes throughout the United States, Canada and certain other foreign countries. The Green Bay branch was established in 1975. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Andy Verkaterin, our Dean, and Dr. Michael Josephson, our President. In this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of the Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that every Lord must have a name and every God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means that Elohim is the title our creator has chosen for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name, a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, Greek, nor Latin languages <clears throat> have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our Father and his Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in this pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, he took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself 
in a physical body and walk the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should all ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Savior during the time he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of a Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh later instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court round about. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. Our 10 primary constitutional aims or objectives of the Institute are as follows. First, is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second, is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without distinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, is to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four, is to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Five is to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six is to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven is to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight is to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine is to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And 10 is to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. This evening we'll be um, having a prayer by Pam Ullman and uh, a song selection. And our scripture reading will be Ezekiel 33 verses one through 20. Scripture reading will be the whole chapter of Ezekiel 33. Okay, sorry. Let's all bow our hearts and minds and please ask, let's ask Yahshua to keep us um, in good contact. Keep us so that we can listen to the speakers and understand what they're saying and just thank them for a classroom and 
With that, let's all say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tonight is Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. I'll be reading from a King James Version. Again, the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman seeth, if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son, of, o son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore shalt thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith Yahweh Elohim, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness, in the day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sons that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. Yet the children of thy people say the way of Yahweh is not equal, but as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet ye say the way of Yahweh is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you every one after his ways. 
And it came to pass in the 12th year of our captivity in the 10th month, in the fifth day of the month, that one had escaped out of Jerusalem, came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. Now the hand of Yahweh was upon me in the evening, before he that was escaped came, and had opened my mouth, until he came to me in the morning, and my mouth was opened, and I was no more dumb. Then the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, and he inherited the land. But we are many, the land is given us for inheritance. Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, Ye eat with the blood, and lift up your eyes toward your idols, and shed blood, and shall ye possess the land? Ye stand upon your sword, ye work abomination, and ye defile every one his neighbor's wife, and shall ye possess the land? Say thou thus unto them, thus saith Yahweh Elohim, As I live, surely they that are in the wastes shall fall by the sword. And him that is in the open field will I give to the beasts to be devoured. And they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am Yahweh, when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from Yahweh. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear my words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this, and when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then they shall know. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. Thank you, uh, Dr. Jeff Johnson. And uh, we will have a three speaker format this evening. And our first speaker will be from the Syracuse Gates branch in New York, Dr. Reba Zahar. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I thought I heard Gate Syracuse. I thought I must be hallucinating. <laughs> it's just been a it's been a really crazy day. And uh, I all of a sudden realized, I go, well, what else would you expect? You're getting ready to go to Chicago. Um, kind of was fighting. Uh, I don't know a cold or the flu or something. And, you know, uh, when Yahshua went straight way up out of the water into the wilderness to be tempted of the adversary, that's when he always comes to you. You're hungry and you're weak. You don't feel good. You're busy uh, doing the poor woe is me dealio but I have come to appreciate um, something 
uh, recently. That means a great deal to me. And um, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them. For Yahweh has showed it unto us all. And we that sit here have been blessed beyond measure. I don't always, con I, I don't consider myself to be a great um, speaker. You know, there's a lot of people that can say the words better than me. But I can tell a part of the story. And it's not a tale as in a fable. I, I count myself blessed that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can hear. I count it a huge blessing beyond words. I know I can see. I might not be um, always able to say the words or when I am just sure, sure as I'll get out that I got it, I will, boy, I can burn it up tonight. You'll be benched for like eight months. <laughs> but you know something, even if you are benched, you're on the team and you can root and holler and go team. <laughs> you know, you're still a player even if you don't think that you're doing as much as you would like to, because it's just a desire anymore. Uh, it, these Zoom classes are unbelievable. Um, I don't even have to ask. I'm, you know, I, I say me all the time, I, cause I just put it on me. I can't speak for y'all, but I think you can relate in some way. I, I don't sit there and go, oh, um, oh, maybe I'll go to class tonight. No, 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 no. I am driven. I am, I, if the door is, if I can be there, I gotta go. It's not even, it's not even up for debate. I am driven because this is the only slice of sanity that I have. And when I start to feel that I'm in doubt, I remember because that which may be known of Yahweh, there is something you can know. And you have to answer that question for yourself. Do you believe the things that he has showed you? Because without him showing you, you, you don't come up on this on your own. You do not come up on this on your own. And if you're worried about whether or not that you just have academic information, well, you won't make the, you will not finish the race. It is not for the swift. It's for those that endure. And the only, the only way you can endure is to be blessed with a working revelation of what is in you. He told Moses to go down into the wilderness and to construct that tabernacle. 
that tabernacle was designed to be a depository for his name, for his holy name. And I dare say that name that has been written in your forehead, Yahshua. You don't have a tattoo there, but it's seen and known of all. They don't know what they're looking at, but they know something is different about you. Now, the one thing that just uh, has been very exciting to me that I, I mean, it's so obvious. That's the beauty of it. It can be right in your face for years and maybe it doesn't mean or uh, stick out as much as you would like it to is that there is, um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have the scripture readers. I don't remember who's reading. Um, um, it might be in one of the Corinthians that no other foundation has anybody laid. Could it be second Corinthians, maybe the third chapter? Um, no other foundation. Um, somebody can find that while I go on. It's first Corinthians three and 11. Wow. It was really close. Thank you. Um, anyways, you might have to pick it up a few verses if you wouldn't mind, please. Um, I'll start up at uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. For we are laborers together with Yahweh. We are Yahweh's husbandry. We are Yahweh's building. According to the grace of Yahweh, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid, which is Yahshua the Messiah. And don't let any other person, oh foolish Galatians, don't be foolish. Oh foolish Green Bayites. <laughs> oh foolish people that are from Gates. Oh foolish people that are from Syracuse. Go ahead and fill it in. That you would be swayed at this great late date by anything else than that which is rock solid and you know what at first you might go oh that you know that sounds i like that it sounds kind of good but where is a witness and if we look at um the foundation of this tabernacle because that is the that which may be known of yahweh and it's not just that structure that laid out there in the uh, wilderness. That, uh, that structure is a direct transmutation of Yahweh Elohim himself. Everybody did not have the opportunity to see that vision as Moses had it, but that is required. You will see him with your eye of understanding. Now, so let's just go and look at this tabernacle for a minute, if you would. Um, Roxy, are you doing the presenting here? Yeah, that'd be fine. I know you're not going to notice it in this picture, but look. There's only one high priest in there. They got to go into the most holy place. So how does he get up in there? And it doesn't get to go all the time. 
so we start at the bottom, if you would, at the court roundabout. And quite frankly, when Yahweh looks at the tabernacle, he doesn't look at it from the court roundabout. He looks at it from where he lives, if, if you would, that most holy place or up that, in that compartment that she's circling right now. So there's only one way to get into that tabernacle. And just as the song said that Renee Jackson has always, always has touched me. Um, a multitude has been called, but a few shall be saved. I, I have so much respect for Yahweh. I tremble. Not that I'm scared, but when you really get just a taste of how powerful he is and what he's capable of doing. I, I just would never want to be on his bad side. I have that much respect for him. I'm thankful that he put that much love in me to have that respect for this great truth. But there's no other way for you to get going into that tabernacle, you've got to, you have to go by that altar. You have to go by that labor. The high priest had to be anointed with that horn of holy anointing oil. You just don't even get into the holy place unless these steps are taken. And that is a principle that we've come to find out about death, burial, resurrection or blood water and spirit and i'll tell you for years i thought the blood water spirit was hokey i just didn't get it oh i could see somebody running it on the chart my gosh there was a western region we were at one time the guy was talking so fast he had somebody at the chalkboard keeping tally how many times he cited blood water spirit you know, he was doing some hot and heavy preaching. And I thought, okay, so, and, I mean, I can see Yahshua spilt his blood, but I don't, I have a greater appreciation for it right now than I did back then. Without those steps, without that foundation that Jeff just read over there in 2 Corinthians, that's what we build on. You can't go anywhere up. You can't advance, if you would, unless you understand that and it's more than just these words i was reading uh oh gosh okay i don't want to get it right now i don't even know if my i think my book bag's in my car i don't have that anyways uh you have those are the steps for you to even go to get to the door which we have to go through and we've been instructed to stand in the holy place and I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't know anything about a holy place. Look at the words we use. Ecumenical council and niacine and the unadulterated, uh, you know, source and substance. We I, fulfill a tabernacle. I didn't talk like that before I came in here. Incor super incorporeal or incorporeal. I didn't talk like that before I came in here. I learned everything coming into this class. And it has been a real game changer. 
Now, the one thing that um, you just can't go into that holy place and let, let you go by those steps. This is the point. Mitch told us that the, um, and he wasn't the only one because he was instructed in, in order to even be able to tell us that that Moses chart takes your picture. And nothing short of you dying is going to get the job done. You were in Egypt, you were in darkness, spiritually, psychologically, you were dead. We all hit the door, dead. We thought we were living. We thought we had it going on. I'm the hottest thing since sliced bread. Ooh, I'm so hot. I could walk down the freezer section in a grocery store and melt the whole aisle. That's how hot we thought we were. You're hot. You bet you, baby. That's how we used to think of ourselves. Well, I don't have that opinion anymore. We, you got to die. And guess what? Your death, you were already dead. What we're trying to avoid is being twice dead. We all have an appointment with the grave. If we could live in this creation long enough, we will see that come to pass. But the second death is the one that we want to avoid. We're having our soul resurrected from all of it. The sin, the malice. Yahshua did away with it. It's not even in the playing field already. It's, it's done. He fulfilled it. It's over. It's stopped. Nobody is sinning anymore. How can you? He did away with it. Sin is the transgression of the Mosaic law. Anyways, I'm, I, not, I'm getting off my point. I don't want We were dead. We were all dead. We all had to go and get buried in our problems and something else. Hallelujah that Yahshua woke us up and resurrected us up out of that. Now we got a shot. We can get into the holy place where we've been instructed to stand. And the thing that I, what's the difference between the court roundabout and the holy place? I never, I didn't stop to even think about it. Those two compartments are covered over. You know, we just get so used to looking at it being uncovered that we just think it might just be like that all the time, but it's covered over. And I thought it was a beautiful, what, what do we got for an elementary chart here? Do we got, uh, do we got Mitch's three? Do we have that in there, the bank uh, charts here? Or um, you just got the 40 plate? Do we have? We do, we sure. Wow. Okay, that might just. Is this the one you want or what do you want? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to see if I can. Um, it's been so long since I've seen it. I'll probably get like swallowed up in it. Um, give me the give me the uh, pattern, the chart of the pattern and plan of salvation, if you would. Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be out of time here any minute. Um, so I look at it. Uh, Okay, you got a principle of, of being having a covering taking place in the holy place, okay? Because the court roundabout is open to the elements. So she's pointing it out with the cursor right now in the holy place. That's the pattern. That's the slide rule. You can move it over to every single one of these events and show how that has happened. You look at it here at Adam and Eve. They were once, oh my goodness. Look at, look at Adam and Eve up there in the most holy place. Just sitting up in there. 
before Lucifer beguiles Eve or seduces her. And this always kills me because Adam's sitting down, he's at rest. Between these two trees, if you would, that'd be like Yahweh sitting on the mercy seat between the uh, two wings of the archangels. And what he, what's he got on his mind? What's over him? A lamb. That's what he's got on his, on his head, okay? I just think the pictures say a lot more than what we even see. And after that uh, division comes where he's no longer in harmony or one with Yahweh because of that transgression, they're in the holy place. Well, Yahweh's got enough mercy on him to, uh, we can read it in Genesis, the third chapter, and we're not going to give it, get it. He covered him with skins. So you got a principle of a covering going on in the holy place, because that's what was covered. And then he sends him down into the court roundabout to, uh, you know, toil and to be full of sorrow. But he also had him covered there, too, because in childbearing, they would have a way of escape. So let's jump over to Noah right, right quick. Noah had a job to do. And I do believe that that was part of our scripture reading uh, in about uh, sound and, you know, paying attention to the uh, watchman or the trumpet being blown and stuff. But if they did not get into the vessel of salvation, if they weren't covered over by that ark, Oh, and there's so much. If you go in, and I had to stop and take a look at it again, where the, the, the ark was pitched within and without, like through and throughout, it was pitched. And if you look at pitch and strongs and follow it back to the other numbers that it refers you to, you'll find out that pitch means to make atonement for or to redeem. So there's a principle of a covering or redemption or atonement being even made in the holy place because after all that veil was done away with where are you looking dead into but the most holy place itself and it's that vessel of salvation which goes exactly according to that tabernacle pattern what first lower deck middle deck upper deck it's got one door one source of light of course because yashua was the way the truth and the light not the truth and how did all the animals get into the ark anyway don't you realize that Yahweh called them? Didn't he have the waters even obey his voice? He didn't, uh, no, I didn't have to go out there and beat no bushes to find a male this and a female that. They just came. Well, that's, a, that's the same way you got down to class, whether you realize it or not. So-and-so didn't invite you. You were called. Hey, the girl that invited me to come down here, she's gone. She's been gone. Yahweh dropped her and he kept me back. Boy, am I happy about that. But see, it was that ark or that vessel of salvation that was anointed that allowed them to resurrect. And that body of salvation is that which ascended up and bridged that age that Noah and the, uh, uh, what's, uh, I can't, um, post-Diluvian to cover over into that age where no, Moses was going to get the law. And look at how the children of Israel, that's, I mean, think about it. That's what you're doing right now. If you are in the vessel of salvation, 
Joshua's body, if you are in the kingdom now, that is going to be that which bridges this age into the next. He's got you covered. He has got you covered. No, I want. I don't want to go there. I want that. Okay, post Luvian in the present kingdom age of grace. I got to stay in this chart. The 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 migration right there. Look, they came out into the wilderness. We're crying out loud. They're like, oh, oh my God, what are we going to eat? He clothed them. He put shoes on their feet. This stuff did not wear out. They were there for 40 years beating it around. It did not wear out. He fed them. He gave them water. But they got to the point where they loathed. They hated that light bread or that manna. They hated it. I pray that I never arrive to that occasion. That my soul, that's what the book says, that my your soul can loathe that light bread. I don't care how many times I hear this moderation. I don't care how many times I hear the doxology. I don't care how many times I hear the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt. There are things in there that I have yet to hear. And maybe, just maybe, if I'm paying attention, it'll pay off. And I'll hear and gather one more little nugget. He's got him covered there. And don't you see how the mystery of iniquity? He wants to be the anointed cherub that covereth. Why? Because Yahshua's got you covered. And I think that's just about the prettiest thing ever. You look at Joseph when he came up out of King's prison and he was up there in a holy place. Man, he got the change of clothes. He got the jewelry going on, the gold. He got the ring, the ring that was a signet that he could seal letters with that. And that was, that was, a, that was, a, that was power. And all that happened to him after he came up out of King's prison. He got cleaned up changed up, sweetened up, and he was covered. And it just taught, for those of you that might have missed it, Tony Pagano has been working with the, the book or the chapter of Ruth about how Ruth was going in uh, to Boaz. Um, that's, she wanted him to cover her with his skirt. And that would be, as it were, like an instantaneous proposal. You would then be his woman and he would care for you. And don't you see how that covering is like a marriage? You can't even hardly take one thing and just keep it isolated. It's all of it. It's all of it. He's covering you. He's marrying you. He's providing for you. He's a good shepherd. He's got your back. And the only way you're going to know that is if you fall into a situation where you need to be covered. And then when he yanks you out, once again, it just builds your reassurance that this thing is real. It's a living gospel and you know it's real because it is working for you. And I am so 
thankful. It makes, it just sounds petty to even say that. There's not a big enough word that I can think of. Yes, it's mercy. Yes, it's unmerited favor. It's so, it's grace personified. But I was sitting down the other day with my, at my own leisure, looking at how there is a covering in the holy place. And now, since Yahshua went through that death, that burial, the resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, look at it. Day of Pentecost. It's in the holy place. There's a different point of view when you stand in there as opposed to being in the court roundabout. Now that that veil's been removed, you're looking dead on in there. You are looking dead on in there. And um, thank you for letting me say this. Today was really hard. But just being able to say these words, it's a huge comfort to me. And I hope you got something out of it too. Turn it back to my room. Thank you, Dr. Zahar. And our second speaker this evening will be the Dean of Green Bay, Wisconsin, Dr. Andy Bercotterin. Hopefully everyone can hear me okay. Yep. I really enjoyed what Reva had to say. It was very heartfelt. Um, she talked a little bit about the tabernacle. I'm gonna work with the part in the tabernacle and also uh, the scripture reading. Let's get uh, let's get the scripture reading start at one, please. Sure. That's Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, starting at one. Again, the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set them for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Now what's happening here is obviously there's a person set up to be a watchman over the land to warn the people. And this person is trained to be able to recognize danger. Um, obviously would be one that is looking for it and trying to keep the people safe. Well, when we attend these classes, we've been educated from this teaching and we know that this isn't gonna go on forever and that there's gonna be a time when there's gonna be a day where that universal revelation is gonna take place and Yasha will be revealed from heaven with his angels in flaming vengeance on them that know not Yahweh and obey not the gospel. That day is going to come. 
it has to come. That would be the close of this age and the ushering in of the next age. Now, let's keep reading. Okay, I'm at five. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he <coughs> warning shall deliver his soul. But if the so in other words, when you see the danger coming, it becomes our responsibility to tell you. If we don't tell you, then it's on our head for not warning you. But if we tell you, then it puts the blood on your head to heed the warning. Go ahead and read. Six. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Now, I don't want to be the person that the blood's on my head because I didn't tell somebody about this universal revelation, Yahshua. And I feel it's very important to make sure people understand that there is a day that is going to come. Let's just get that scripture uh, in Second uh, Thessalonians um, it's right on the chart there. It's in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 5 through 8. Does that sound right? I don't think it's written right. I think that's correct. I think it's is it 1 Thessalonians. Oh, I'm just clicking. 2 Thessalonians 1. Five through eight. Yep. Okay. Second Thessalonians one and five, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of Yahweh, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of Yahweh, for which ye also suffer. Now we want you all to be counted worthy of the kingdom of, of Yahshua. See, we're supposed to be in the kingdom of Yahshua Messiah. And we want you to be part of that. Read seeing it is a righteous thing with Yahweh to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled rest with us when now, Yahshua the Messiah talking about some of the things we go through we're troubled on all sides you know we're not getting any younger the economy's not getting any better everything is is you know basically the world is a mess and uh go ahead and to you who are troubled, rest with us when Yahshua the Messiah shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know, that know not Yahweh and that obey not the gospel of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. So this is something that's going to happen. So it, it's a warning of the land to realize that this is something that is very serious. And he's going to take flame and vengeance on them that know not Yahweh. And surprise, surprise, the very first aim of this institute is what? To help you find and know Yahweh. <laughs> our, our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. So the very first aim is designed to help you escape that flaming vengeance on them that know not Yahweh and that obey not the gospel. Um, that's good enough there. Now, um, the last class on Oceanside, they were talking uh, in Ruth there, they were talking about the gleamings of the field and 
and the harvest and all that and how when they would harvest, they would take the wheat or the barley and you'd throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away. So then what happens to the chaff? Let's get um, uh, Matthew 3 and 12. Matthew 3 and 12. Do you want to write it 12 or do you want to pick up where it talks about baptized? Yeah, let's let's get it in verse 11. Okay, 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose fan is in the hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the gardener, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So what you could do with this fan is you could fan the wheat and it would fan all the chaff away and then all the chaff could get burned in a fire. Now, Yahshua, you know, John's here is talking about his baptism of water for repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He's gonna baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. Now. It would be very important to be baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. See, we need to have that baptism has to take place. And there's a reason why it has to be with fire. Now, somebody might think, well, well is Yahshua instituting a baptism with fire? No, he's fulfilling because he's not instituting anything. Because at the time of Moses, he went up on top of the cloud on Mount Sinai on the Moses chart, and there was a burning uh, cloud of fire on top of that. And Moses went up there, and he was totally immersed in this cloud. So he was baptized with fire, and it was also the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit uh, up there with him. Now, you also have uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, were placed in the fiery furnace uh, for disobedient disobeying the king's decree and they ended up being cast into the fire and they were cast into the fire and that fire was stoked up seven times hotter than it's ever been as a matter of fact it even killed the men that threw them in and uh, when they were in the fire uh, there was three of them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego but then the king had said I see four, four men in there walking around loose and there's no hurt and one of them was like the son of man so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were totally immersed in fire, and they were in there with uh, the Holy Ghost. So they were baptized with the Holy Spirit with fire, and they were protected from that baptism. And they, they weren't hurt by it. Moses wasn't hurt by it, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not hurt by it. And when we're being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, that, that fire is having an effect on us. And there's a very big significance of that fire. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Now, um, did we read 12? We did. Okay. Now, <clears throat> we know there's going to be a day that this creation is going to be destroyed. And we can get a, that in Second Peter, the third chapter, uh, start reading at six. I don't know if we have to pick it up there or not. 
I just want to work a little bit about this danger that's coming so that it, you know, the warning could be put out there and then you can heed it or not. But we're going to also talk about how do you get out of that warning? How do you get out of that danger? Um, I'm going to pick it up at verse four. So second Peter three and four. Okay. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of Yahweh the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Now, Yahweh had destroyed the world before, back at the time of Noah, with a flood. And... Uh, Go ahead and read. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly And men. there's another example how we are currently still in the fourth age. We're not in the fifth age of age of immortality, because if you read that scripture you just read again. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the are same now, word. not to come are now are held in read by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment that fire so that hasn't come yet <clears throat> that will come but go ahead and read reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men and that's that universal revelation that's being talked about Read. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with Yahweh is a thousand years, and a thousand years of one day. And Yahweh, that's good enough. Okay. Uh, we used to work with that in the past, but we don't have to get into that. Did you want, anyway, 12, so did you want 12 with the uh, heavens yes. being on fire? Yes. Um, let's drop down to verse 12 then. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of Yahweh, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Okay, so we're making the point about this uh, danger, or this uh, thing that's coming that is very serious. It's going to close, the age is going to close out. It's, it's going to happen. And every day we go through life is a day closer to that happening, but it's got to happen. But anyway, so, so now let's talk a little bit about the protection of this fire. First of all, we have to realize there's something about Yahweh with this. Let's get Hebrews 12 and 20, 29. Hebrews 12 and 29. For our Yahweh is a consuming fire. Now here it's talking about Yahweh is a consuming fire. Is any more there? Uh, no, that's 29. Okay. So now if you look at this chart, this Moses, uh, a Moses chart, you have a cloud on top of Mount Sinai. But you also see there's a fiery cloud that goes all the way around this chart. And it goes around the Genesis, the days of the creation showing you forth that Yahweh is spirit and he's also a consuming fire. And it's not a mistake 
that this uh, chart is, is in a fire. Because when Moses went up on top of Mount Sinai, he was in a burning fire when he saw all the things that, you know, happened that he wrote about in Genesis and so forth. Now, if you look at some of the other charts, like if we go to the chronology chart, you'll see there's a fire around the chronology as well. Because this entire purpose is within that cloud or eternity or Yahweh, which is a consuming fire. Now, if you also look at the tabernacle chart, you see the tabernacle chart is also surrounded by fire. Now, these things are coming out of Yahweh, which is a consuming fire. These things are uh, revealed by a vision and a revelation to mankind through various um, vessels and then, you know, through the Holy Spirit being revealed to us now. So Yahweh is a consuming fire. So what happened? What about us? <clears throat> Let's get um, <clears throat> um, uh, Hebrews 1 and 7. And before you get Hebrews 1 and 7, let's get Acts 2 and 3. I've got Acts 2, verse 3. Mm -hmm. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as now, a fire. First of all, before he reads here, what this is the day of Pentecost, that green portion on the Moses chart. Or excuse me, not green, it's above the green portion. Day of Pentecost. It's after Yahshua went through his death, his burial, and resurrection. He, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 50 days later after the death of the Lamb, you have the day of Pentecost, where mankind has now received the Holy Spirit, and they were immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire. Um, and they were never the same again. They became a new creature in Yahshua Messiah. They became part of his kingdom. They became subjects to his kingdom. And, and, it, ta and it talks about, uh, go ahead, now, now read where you are in Acts, the second chapter, verse 3. Verse 3, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were so all filled. So each one of them had like cloven tongues of fire. And it sat upon each, and this is and this is obviously a vision, but the thing is, on the day of Pentecost, there was a fire that lit up these men on the day of Pentecost. Now get Hebrews 1 and 7. I don't know if there's any more there, Jeff, or not. Yeah, yeah verse 4 is good, too. Um, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. So the Holy Spirit <clears throat> is lighting these men up. Now get uh, Hebrews 1 and 7. Sure. Do you want to write at 7? Uh, I don't know if you pick it up or not. Okay. Tell I'll me. just pick it up. At, I'll pick it up at 5 just so you can get the context of it. Hebrews 1 and 5. For unto which the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. And this day have I begotten thee? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of Yahweh worship him. And the That's talking about Yahshua Messiah. He's the only begotten. He definitely right. would be the first begotten. But anyway, read. Mm -hmm. And, and it, oh, I'm sorry, seven. And the angels he saith, who maketh his angel spirits? 
and his ministers a flame of fire. So now Yahweh makes his angels a, a ministering spirit, and he also makes his ministers a flame of fire. Mm. Now, now, are we talking about a, like you take a match and you strike a match and he made you into a flame of fire like that? No, he made you that into that fire. We're conformed in the image of Yahshua, who was a, a, a fire. Yahweh is a consuming fire, and he takes on shape and form and, and also operates in, in the flesh, in and out of a body in the old covenant, now in the new covenant, in bodies via the Holy Spirit. And our creator is a consuming fire. So he makes his ministers as a flame of fire or another example of us being conformed into his image of fire. Now, the high priest, now Reba was talking about <clears throat> um, um, the high priest. Let's go to the tabernacle. Now, when that high priest went into the tabernacle, he could not go into that tabernacle without fire. You know, we also talk about he couldn't have blood. Now you have steps on the, on the tabernacle. The very first step is the gate. And that's the first thing you'd walk into if you were going through the process. And the second thing you'd come to, obviously, is that big altar. And the third thing you'd come to is that labor. And they had to take the lamb through the gate and they had to offer that lamb up at nine o'clock in the morning. He had to take the blood and put it on the four horns and they had to put the lamb and wash it in the labor. And then they placed that lamb on the altar. And then the high priest had to take his incense and he had to take the fire um, from the coals of that altar and put them in the incenser. And then he would go up through the door, which is the fourth step. And the founder would always say it's 440, 400, four something. And um, <clears throat> so you have the death, burial, resurrection, uh, glorification in the, in the holy place, or you have the blood on the altar, the water and the labor, and the spirit uh, with the horn of holy anointing oil, which was poured over the priest's head to be able to officiate in the tabernacle at the age of 30. And you go through the door, which is a four step, 444 something. And then you have the fifth step, which is the holy place. And the founder did speak in the pamphlet of uh, 40 days in the garden of blood, water, spirit, 40 days in the garden. He said, you're going to have a 550 or five something, just like the 444 something. And then he would say, and so on. So you have the fifth place is the holy place itself. And the high priest would have to go in there at nine o'clock in the morning and with the incense. And you know, you'd have to snuff out the candle at this time um, and trim the wicks and, and fill the oil and all that stuff. Then he would go to the altar of incense with his incenser and he'd offer up a prayer. And he'd go to the table shoe bread and he'd come out. And then at noon, he would go up and offer up another prayer at noon at the altar of incense. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, they'd offer up a lamb again, just like they did at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, and bury him in the labor and uh, put him on the altar and then go up through the door. And then uh, this time, because it's getting dark, he'd have to light the candles instead of snuffing them out. And then he'd offer up a prayer at the altar again and partake of the shoe bread. Now he did this every day. 
Now in the holy place, it just so happens the dimensions of the holy place are um, 30 by 15. And if you take 15 times 30, it comes up to uh, 450. So you have 40 represented in the holy place. You also have 50 represented or four and five. The altar of incense has four ingredients. The oil has five ingredients. Um, the, oil, the oil had five ingredients. So you have four being represented, you have five being res represented. Now, when he went into the most holy place, he could only go in there one time a year. Now, when he went into the most holy place, he also had to go in there with his incenser and the blood. He had both. <clears throat> so he had the blood of the bulls for his own sins, but he had that incenser. And that incenser was burning with fire. And he brought that in there on the day of atonement. And then he put that before the ark and he went around the ark and uh, he sprinkled blood on the altar seven times. Why seven times? Because the most holy place is the seventh step. Seven times eastward. Now, when he went through that veil, that sixth veil, the veil of flesh, he'd have to go, if Roxy could put the arrow on the right side, he'd have to go up through the veil on the right side. So he'd go in and then he'd come down on the left. So he went in the, through the veil and one, and then he'd come down, he'd come through the veil, that's two. And that's for his own sins. Now he'd do put the blood of the bullock or the kid goat, he'd go up again with the incenser and the blood. So it's three. Then he'd come back down through the veil again on the other side, four. Actually, he'd make a figure eight, but that's fine. <clears throat> so that's four times. And then now he'd at the altar of incenser, put on the garments of beauty and glory, and he'd put on that breastplate, which had those 12 stones on them and represent each tribe of Israel. And now uh, we know that um, that breastplate was worn by the high priest and it had the pomegranates on the hem of his garments. So he'd go up there with the combined blood for the cleansing of the sanctuary. Again, he'd go up on the right side and he'd go down the left side. So basically what would happen is he'd go through the veil six times. The sixth step is the veil. And he went up and down first trip, up and down second trip, up and down third trip that's six times through the veil and every time he did that he sprinkled blood seven times eastward when he was in that most holy place but he brought blood with him and he brought fire with him now when he was wearing that um <clears throat> that ephod those stones that were on his ephod they're precious gems they reflect light and uh it talks about how um we are as lively stones in a temple. That's in uh, um, hmm. <laughs> um, it's over in let's Peter. Get First Peter. It was in our scripture reading in Oceanside. First Peter, the second chapter, verse five. Let's get that. First Peter two and five. Mm -hmm. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Yahweh by Yahshua the Messiah. So we are like lively stones, and lively stones reflect light. Like a diamond has, if you shine a light on it, it, it sparkles. And they called 
the diamond, they, they say it has fire. An emerald has fire, a ruby has fire. These gems have fire. They look like they're on fire because they just reflect light in all those beautiful facets. Now he makes his ministers as a flame of fire. And that fire, that ephod is over the priest's heart. Carl was working with and, and uh, Sue Sikowski worked with the heart last uh, Saturday and how that ephod was worn over the high priest's heart. So in other words, when he went into the most holy place, that seventh, that uh, the third trip, that flash of the Shekinah, that flash would have reflected light off of those stones that were in his, in his ephod or, or the gems that we are lively. We would have reflected light coming from that altar. <clears throat> now, that's good enough there. Now, what I want to work with is the incense. Now, if you look at the incense, um, the incense has four main ingredients. Like I said, the incense has four and the, um, <clears throat> the oil has five ingredients. The four ingredients on the incense are, <clears throat> first one is stacne. And if you look up the word stack, stacti, it, it's Hebrew 5198 from, from 5197. It means to distill gradually to ooze, to fall in drops. And you know how Yahweh works with uh, in Deuteronomy 32 and 2, he says, my doctrine shall drop as a rain. And, uh, and then Job 36 and 27, it talks about um, distilling on a man. And, you know, his doctrine and distillation process is a cleaning. So stacne, one of the ingredients is a type of preaching the gospel. It also means to fall in drops to uh, speak by inspection uh, or prophecy. Then one of the other ingredients is ancha, anicha. And it, and it comes from Hebrew 7827, uh, 7826. It's to roar like a lion, to peel off by the percussion of sound, scale or shell, to take scales off like, um, like uh, Paul had the skills with his eyes. Um, and, uh, and we know that Yahshua is of, of the tribe of uh, uh, Judah, which is uh, a tribe of the lion. And there's also scriptures like Jeremiah 25 and 30. It says, prosify, Yahweh roars, you know. And, uh, you know, so, um, and then you also have uh, in Jeremiah 31, 35, that the waves roar Yahweh's name. So you have that roaring lion out of the Judah, and it's the peeling off. It's it, by the percussion of sound, the preaching of the gospel, it's peeling off or taking away the scales or the, uh, the stuff that, that's um, allowing us not to see. So by taking all that off, we can see. And, and one of the ingredients is galbanum, galbanum which is from Hebrew 2464, uh, uh, 2459. It's to be fat, the richest, choice, marrow, the finest part. And, um, and, it, and it talks about in Isaiah 55, one and two, that uh, Yahweh comes to many waters and your soul will delight in fatness and how the oil, uh, the high priest had to, you know, obviously be anointed with, oil and we are all chosen or we become choice uh, uh, vessels in, in, in Yahshua, 
science purpose. Then the last one is frankincense, which is Hebrew 3828 from 3836. It means white, whiteness like smoke. And you know how that frankincense, it's, it's a white smoke. Um, now I know I went through those ingredients fast, but I just wanted you to see that the preaching of the gospel is, is a type of the incense. Now, if you go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, start reading at one, please. Hebrews 12 and 1, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Yahshua, the author and finisher of our faith. So here's Yahshua the Messiah being revealed within this cloud of witnesses, just like on the, uh, the high priest in that cloud of, that was uh, from the incense on the mercy seat uh, would be an appearance in the cloud and he would appear in the cloud. Now, the cloud we're talking about today is the cloud of witnesses that we're able to see Yahshua through the foolishness of preaching, through the ministers of fire, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, that teaching is coming by fire inspiration and it's forming a cloud of witnesses or the incense. So there's there's a fire involved with this incense. There's, there's an ingredient, uh, a special ingredient to the incense. So there's a, a specific way that this teaching or this gospel is presented. We know it, law and prophets. We know it's by a pattern. We know uh, the physical reveals the spiritual and, and the, all these various things, but there's also a fire that goes along with it. Now that high priest, had to go in there with that fire. Now, on there were a couple of rules. Number one is, let's get the rules on the incense first. Exodus 30 and 9. And then I want uh, what happened in Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Because there was two rules about the incense that we need to take a look at. Okay, I have Exodus 30 and 9. Mm-hmm. Offer no strange incense thereon, nor burn sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. So in other words, that high priest or the priest that would officiate in the tabernacle could not offer up a strange incense. That incense had to be those four main ingredients, specifically by the art of the apothecary. And it couldn't be any other way. If you did it any other way, in other words, if you don't go by the law and prophets, you don't go by the tabernacle, you don't go by the principles of, of the purpose, you're using a different ingredient. And not only the wrong ingredients forming the cloud of the witness, but you weren't supposed to offer up any strange uh, incense. Now what happens if with the other one, let's get Hebrew, uh, Leviticus 10, one and two. Leviticus 10 and one. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of now, Aaron. Nadab and Abihu were two sons of Aaron, who was the high priest. You have one high priest and two low priests. You have Nadab and Abihu. And what did they do? Read. The sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before Yahweh. Which he now they offered not. strange fire. 
So what that means is they took the fire from someplace other than from the coals of the altar. That fire had to come from the coals of the altar. If you take that fire from anywhere else, it becomes strange fire. Now they offered up a strange fire. And the fire we're talking about, this is pointing to, is the fire of the Holy Spirit. So the, the preaching of the gospel is being done with, yes, I do see the sign, thank you, is being done by the proper ingredients of the incense, by the art uh, of the pocketary, and you also have using the proper fire. That priest had to be operating with the proper blood and the proper fire while he's administering through that tabernacle. And that fire we're talking about is the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire that is, is, is supposed to be lighting up. Uh, now, what happens when they, uh, uh, go ahead, keep reading where you are in Leviticus. Uh, finishing out verse one, and, and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he commanded them not. Verse two, and there went out fire from Yahweh and devoured them, and they died before Yahweh. Yahweh destroyed them, showed his wrath because they offered up a strange fire. And he commanded them not to offer strange fire. So you couldn't offer up strange incense and you also couldn't use strange fire. You had to be very specific about these things. And now what's going to happen is if you're speaking the true, true doctrine of the gospel to help you find and know Yahweh as he really is and actually exists and the Holy Spirit's the teacher, you are offering up the true incense and you are offering up the true fire of this gospel to mankind. And Yahweh's not going to take flame and vengeance on someone that's doing that. But if you're out there teaching the lies about Yahweh and you're teaching false doctrine and you're using wrong uh, witnesses, you're offering up strange incense to your creator. You're calling him Lord God and Jesus and you're using a strange fire because you're not using the Holy Spirit's fire. So you have to have the right fire and the right Holy Spirit. Now, in Romans, the 10th chapter, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they have a zeal of Yahweh. But I've read on record they have a zeal of Yahweh, but not according to knowledge. Now, if you look up the word zeal in a dictionary, one of the definitions of zeal, it's an ardent interest or pursuit of something. And the word ardent means fiery, hot, shining, glowing. So it's a fiery or shining, hot, glowing interest or presuming something. You have a zeal. You're on fire about something when you have a zeal. It's the same thing if you love something. Uh, like it says in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, for though I have the tongues of this and tongues of that and I don't have love, love is a fire. Zeal is a fire. You want to have the love or the fire of the gospel. You want to have the true fire lighting you up. You want to be uh, um, in, uh, made in the image of Yahshua. You want to be conformed to the image of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit. You want to be like him. And, you know, we're like lively stones. And in 1 Peter 2 and 9, and then uh, uh, we're only going to be able to get two scriptures. Now, in Exodus 24, 9 and 10, when they went up on top of Mount Sinai, they saw the body of heaven on top of that mountain in its clearness. And the word clearness there means brightness. And that's showing forth how Yahshua was just in his glory. It's just 
bright. Now give me First Corinthians, uh, no, excuse me, First Peter 2 and 9, and then 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, and then I'll be out of time. First Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation. Now you're a chosen generation, read. A royal priesthood. And you're a, a royal priesthood. And a holy nation. You're a holy nation. A peculiar people. Mm -hmm. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness mm -hmm. into this marvelous light. He called you out of darkness. And he called you into the marvelous light. So if he called you into this marvelous light, this you're being lit up. By the Holy Spirit, you're being lit up. You're shining inside and you're giving forth true incense through the preaching of the gospel and your proper fire through the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, let's talk about the mystery of iniquity because we know that people have a zeal and they have the wrong fire in the zeal in those churches. They have a zeal for Jesus. And they have a zeal for all these things. They have a fire, but their fire is a strange fire. It's the wrong zeal. It's the wrong love. They don't have the love from the or the zeal from the Holy Spirit. You want that fire. You want the right incense. You don't want that negative stuff. But anyway, uh, get the last scripture I called for. Second Corinthians four. I'll start at three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now the whom... world has is God of this world. The devil has blinded the minds of mankind. And if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Read. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light. blinded the minds with this false incense or false doctrine or this wrong fire. Blinded the minds of man or their memories. The word mind means to remember. Read. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of the Messiah, who is the image of Yahweh, should shine unto them. And we want the light of the glorious gospel to shine on us. We want to be like the stones on the ephod, and we want to reflect light. We want to be lit up by the Holy Spirit, and we want to be a priest or a minister as a flame of fire with the true fire, the true blood, and the true incense of this, this preaching of this doctrine. And, you know, it makes a difference of what fire you use. It makes a difference what incense you use. It's, it's a process, and it's got to go by uh, his will or his way. Otherwise, it's strange fire and strange incense. I hope you got something out of it. Um, I'll turn it over to the moderator. Thank you very much, Dr. Ricotterin. And our third and final speaker will be the dean from Oceanside, California, Dr. Dennis Bolby. I want to say good evening, everyone. I hope uh, you can hear me okay. Yep. All right, great. There were a lot of things said tonight that could be expanded upon. There were a lot of points made in the scripture reading. There were points that the speaker made, uh, speakers made. And, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to try to express the few points that hit me. Uh, and I want to, I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to just start, start off with the point that Andy was making about this offering of strange fire or incense in the tabernacle. Now, 
there are two aspects of this thing that we have to understand. What does the fire, uh, I'll say strange fire, represent from a spiritual standpoint? Now, Andy went in and explained how that Yahshua makes his ministers as flames of fire, that Yahweh is a consuming fire, and he tried to show that that was the Holy Spirit there that uh, was reflected on the day of Pentecost where they had cloven tongues of fire above them. So we know that the Holy Spirit is a fire, and we know that Yahweh is a consuming fire. That's why on this chart, the cloud is painted all the way around the circumference of the chart uh, because Yahweh and the cloud is a fiery cloud to show that everything that exists is in that consuming fire already. Now, I remember when Dr. Kinley said, now you don't have to worry about being or uh, going to the lake of fire. He said, you're already in that fire right now, that Yahweh was a consuming fire. Now, what you need what you need to have happen is you need to be converted and become a flame of fire so that you are a part of that fire. Therefore, it will not consume you. And of course, that's what this teaching is trying to do. It's trying to cause that fire to be in your hearts and in your soul. Now, what happens when you come down to class and all of a sudden you start hearing these things and there's the wow uh, experience where people just hear something, they go, wow. You know, they're just, they never heard anything like that. It just impacts them. But you know, like any other kind of fire that's out there, like when people year, in centuries ago before they didn't have modern technology, it was very important that people keep fire uh, a way to have uh, that fire uh, continuously being kept alive for them to be able to warm themselves, to cook their food, and various other things. Now, when we get sparked in this teaching, and a spark starts a fire, we know that many forest fires have been started by a spark. Now, when you first come into class and you're hearing some of these things, sparks start to occur. And that's the wow uh, experience. Those are sparks. In order for a fire then to actually be, uh, as it were, continued and to become larger, there has to be kindling or some other material that will generate that fire that is receptive to that spark that can cause a flame to begin. And we often, when we start fires, when we go out and camp and so on, we get kindling. This is stuff that will readily start on fire. Once we get the flame going, now the next thing we have to do is we have to go out and get something that's going to last because we know that the kindling will not last. It will burn out. And if something else is not added to that fire, and I'm talking about we go out and cut wood, we take a log, we split the log, and the log has the ability to last longer than kindling, we know that that fire is going to die. It's not going to continue. Another thing that, of course, to put out a fire, people try to suffocate a fire, take the oxygen away from it. 
There are many things you can look at because fires are obviously in the news a lot. We see fires all over the country. In California, we're the land of fires. It's so dry out here. And all these principles can be tied into what was talked about tonight. Now, what I want to talk about is how you don't let that fire go out in your hearts in this gospel. Now, when you come to class and we start to teach you the basics, what we are doing is we are putting material in that spark that was started on you that is easily understandable or that can begin a flame. But in time, I've heard this statement made from people that lost their zeal. Well, I've been through that Red Sea so many times I'm waterlogged. I don't want to hear about they were down in Egypt anymore and they came up out of Egypt through the divided waters of the Red Sea. You know, and, and Reba tonight was talking about the manna, how people got, they loathe that manna. Well, some people couldn't keep the fire going. Because in order for that fire to continue after a spark and with some kindling, there has to be some substantial material that is put upon that fire that can keep that flame and actually grow that flame and be longer lasting. So as we come to class, the Holy Spirit knows how to expand your understanding of his great purpose and plan. And to add to you, not only information, but questions. Questions spark enthusiasm. Because they cause a person to wonder about the purpose and how it's working. Questions are good, ladies and gentlemen. And the more you inquire, the more inquisitive you are about this great creator that we're all talking about tonight, that we've come to know and how his purpose is playing out, Yahweh's going to put logs on that fire. He's going to put those logs on that fire so that that fire is sustained in you. Now, I remember years ago, uh, my dean, Dr. Burbank Mitchell, one would tell us in lectures, now, if you're sitting there and you feel like you can't get with what's going on in this teaching and you feel like all of a sudden you're losing that enthusiasm or that spark. He said, you reach down inside your own heart, your own soul, and find an ember. Just a little ember is enough to get that flame going again with the right material put upon it. The devil wants to suffocate you, ladies and gentlemen. He wants to destroy that enthusiasm and zeal for the truth. He wants to wear you out, to put the fire out. And so, what I want you to see is this, that that fire that is being put within us is being stoked from the inside and it is being kept burning and becoming greater in us as Yahweh is revealing more and more in these classes that we go to. Classes where the woodpile is, ladies and gentlemen. The preaching of the gospel 
is how things will be said during class and sometimes things that you've heard many times over the years that all of a sudden a question will be sparked in your heart and mind that gives the opportunity of the Holy Spirit to open up a whole new level or area of understanding that will draw you to the point of being wondrous about this great purpose and bring you to higher heights and more fervent in your faith. This is how all of us are being kept alive in this teaching. And so, going back to what was talked about tonight with Nadab and Abayu. Now, I've heard Dr. Kinley talk about how that they offered the wrong incense on there, and we could tie that right in with the wrong fire also. Now, let me show you what that represents. Now, that fire that we call the good fire is the genuine Holy Spirit operating and working through us. And as Andy so well pointed out, that the main ingredients of the incense, which were four ingredients, represent a great cloud of witness. They were the product that brought about that great cloud in the holy, the most holy place when the priest went in on the Day of Atonement and he put the incense on the incenser in the most holy place and a great cloud came up and that that cloud became, as Paul re referenced it, a great cloud of witnesses. Go over and get the witness chart for me, please. The witness chart, please. This is the brain chart. I want the, the purple one. There it is. Yeah, 15. I know. I know. 15. I'm okay. It. Okay, good. Thank you. I no had problem. it ready for you, and then I lost where it okay. was. All righty. No problem. Now, as you see on this chart, it says, Wherefore, seeing. Now, that's a quote right from Revelation, I mean, uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about by so great a cloud of witness. Now, the first part of that statement is crucial. It says, wherefore, seeing. Now, if we don't see these great witnesses that are compassing us about, if we don't remain conscious of them, then we will not be able to run the race with patience. Looking to Yahshua, as the author and finisher of our faith, as it, said, as it states in Hebrews 12. But what I want you to know is, when you're in a time of trouble, when I say trouble, we all go through this in class where we don't feel driven, we don't feel so spiritually minded, we feel like we're just out of touch with things, in the spirit I'm talking about. And it's scary to be in that state. Because what that's doing is it's eroding in you it's an erosion, ladies and gentlemen, of what you believe in this teaching and what the erosion is doing is causing you to doubt. And the devil wants to create doubt in you and then fan that doubt with the wrong fire. That is getting you to believe that, uh, you know, that what he's doing is right and what you've learned down here can't possibly be true because it's too fantastic. It's, it's a, you know, this has got to be a fairy tale. I want you to know that the devil hides himself and he disguises himself as a minister of fire. 
Now, we read in the scripture in Corinthians 11.4. Go over there and get first, uh, first or second Corinthians 11.14 or 11.13. No marvel for Satan himself. I want you to pick that up. I think it's in second Corinthians 11.14 or 13. Second Corinthians 11 um, and 13. I'll pick it up. Okay. Thanks, for, Jeff. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of the Messiah. Now listen, listen. Do you know that fire produces light? Obviously, you know that when you're out in the woods and you light a campfire, that you got light, you can see. Now the, the sun is a ball of fire. And it produces all the light that we use on earth to grow our plants, to have food, to have warmth. All of that is coming from a ball of fire. So what the devil does is he has to transform himself as an angel of light. And he has to try to act enthusiastic. If you've ever watched one of these televangelists work people's emotions, and they try to get all worked up themselves and turn into a, a fiery preacher, as that's once been called, those fiery preachers are presenting themselves as having or being a creature of fire, or that is say a minister of fire. And yet they're false ministers. So the devil is smart enough to know that he has to use fire and charisma and try to preach to such a degree that people are mesmerized by his great oratory ability and believe that this man is really a God-fearing man because they don't have knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. They can be hoodwinked and tricked to believe that that presentation is the Holy Spirit speaking when it isn't. Now, I've often said this, and I'll be, I'll be candid about this. When people get on the floor, even in class, don't accept things by the presentation that it was given. That is not the criteria as to whether it's the truth or not. It all has to be accepted based on that there is support in the law and the prophets, in your foundation, that give credence and substance to what is being said. So that you're drawing from the source of consumable, burnable material spiritually that was laid down in the law and the prophets. Now, I talked about this last week, I think it was, about oil when I was in Madison's class. All oil is down under the surface of the ground. That's why they go out exploring, trying to find oil. And oil is the remnants of dead creatures or plants or whatever, however you want to say, something that was alive, in other words. And that oil has the power to light our entire world that we live in. We depend on oil for all things. And so what I want you to realize is oil is a figure of the Spirit. And it lies beneath the surface. So the Law and the Prophets, that's the ground that we should be exploring. Because the oil is down below there. And when we are able to penetrate down into that manifestation that surface that Yahweh laid down in the Law and the Prophets of demonstrating his actual 
purpose and plan, which none of us knew, and even the, back there, none of the uh, prophets or no, Moses, none of them knew this purpose either. Because the reality lies underneath the surface. But under this covenant, the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to go down inside these hidden principles, these spiritual things that are being represented by those manifestations that will open up to your understanding a great fire within you of conviction and a great fire of enthusiasm in this teaching once you get your eyes open to it. And we got to get down below the surface. Now, what I want you to know is the devil, what he's doing is he's using the Bible just like we are. He goes in there and quotes scriptures and all these other things. But what he does is he draws into the Bible, he does a fire oratory, you know, uh, oration, if you will, and people are taken and carried off by the charisma and not really the truthfulness of what has just been said because they don't have knowledge to be able to weigh it, whether it's true. So what ends up happening is they are led astray by the false angel of light appearance that they see. And that's why the devil and his host uh, came up with or, and have the cunningness to appear as angels of light. And yeah, another principle that Yahshua talked about how they would be wolves in sheep's clothing. But in this example, they act as ministers clothed in light, ministers of fire. And it can draw you. And it can burn you. And you can be burned by it. Now, what I want you to see is that when Paul? No, don't take that, that. Don't take that away yet. I need that. I need that chart. I'm not done with that chart. Thank you. No, nope, not that one. Uh, okay, I want the witness chart. Back to the purple one. All right. Thank you. Now. What we see there is, wherefore seeing we are compassed about by so great a cloud of witness. Now, once you see the witnesses and you understand how Yahweh's purpose works down through the law, the prophets, the fulfillment, and over here to the new covenant. When you are feeling low, of low motivation in your hearts, you can draw on and reach out and hold on to those witnesses will sustain you through that period because they have the ability to be reignited to a huge fire. Those are the embers, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, Dr. Mitchell was talking about years ago that you hang on to. The things that you have become assured of, the things that made sense that cannot be explained away by some kind of logic that you know and this is the whole thing when Dr. Kinley said, now I had a vision and a revelation, but I don't want you to believe me, make me prove it. But the point is what convinces you is when this man is able to express something that opens up a reality to you that was in that Bible, that maybe you read that Bible in that area before, but never saw that. And then you realize that no one could have figured this out. It had to be shown to them by the Creator. How else could they know this? I never heard my minister teach this down at church. I never heard the Pope say these things or Billy Graham. You start to realize this came direct from Yahweh, and it has to be revealed. 
Now, these great cloud of witnesses, ladies and gentlemen, is what we reach back into. And if you remember the parable about the five virgins that were wise, the five were foolish. The five wise virgins kept oil in their lamp. In other words, they retained those things that were revealed to them, that were shown to them in their hearts. The, 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 the five unwise let that stuff slip. They let it slip, as Paul said. And when the cry came out that the master or the bridegroom was coming, the five unwise wanted them to give them some of their oil. And they said, no, we can't give you that oil unless we don't have enough for ourselves. Go to them that sell the oil. Now, who sells the oil? Well, here's who sells the oil to get that fire uh, uh, fed. Moses and the prophets. And so they have to try to go back now and try to get these things out of most of the prophets. And they certainly didn't get them in the beginning because otherwise they would have had a uh, value to what they were learning and they would have retained it. But they let it slip. The other ones didn't let it slip. And when they were woken, they could reach back into the things that they were assured of and those things could be taken to a new level and cause a, a fire even greater than the one that they had originally. Now, going into that tabernacle that uh, uh, with, the, with Nadab and Abihu, you can go get that tabernacle now. That tabernacle, yeah, it's right there, right on the chart. Okay, fine. When Nadab and Abihu went in there, now let's, here's the thing about that tabernacle. Each one of those compartments has fire in it. There's fire in the altar burnt offering. There's fire in the lamps, obviously, the candlestick. And there's also fire on the altar of incense. Now, they had to bring that fire into the most holy place, but I want to show you something. When Nadab and Abihu came in there to offer the incense, what compartment did they do that in? It had to be the holy place. That's where the, the incense is offered. And they were low priests, so they weren't allowed to go up into the most holy place with that incense. But that incense would go right through that veil. And it was not a sweet-smelling savor to Yahweh. That's why anger came. And it says that Yahweh destroyed Nadab and Abihu. A fire came out from him. Well, where was Yahweh... When this fire came, where'd the fire come from? Yahweh's up in that most holy place, and that fire came right out of that cloud or that spirit of Yahweh and consumed them in the holy place. So what I want you to know is every one of those compartments have fire in it. Now, the strange fire represents someone that is going up there that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, that does not, is not being moved by the Holy Spirit, but they have the appearance of a minister. Nadab and Abihu were priests. And they went in there as priests, but they're offering something that is not to be offered. They are corrupting the incense by their fire. Now watch. When somebody gets on the floor and presents themselves as being a minister of the gospel of Yahshua the Messiah and takes the things that the founder taught us and the things that are in the law and the prophets and twists them to mean something other than what 
we were taught by the founder, or other than what is taught by uh, uh, Peter, James, John, and Paul after Pentecost, other than what Yahshua said when he was in his ministry walking around, then what we got is strange fire being, being offered. And there are people all the time that will get up and preach false doctrine from the floor. And there's a transcript about that where Dr. Kinley is titled Preaching False Doctrine from the Floor. And Dr. Kinley would go down there and that fire would proceed forth out of him to burn that false doctrine away. Because the devil's going to be destroyed in the end, him and his angels. That Yahshua will come with great power and great glory. And at his appearance, he will consume the whole universe. We read that tonight, how that everything will melt with fervent heat and the elements will be gone and all the rest of it. That is the great revelation of Yahshua from heaven, who is a superincorporeal being, who will outshine the noonday sun, who is reflecting so much light and power that the physical elements cannot stand in his presence. And the souls that are not recipients of that will not be able to look upon that glory. Now, Dr. Kinley talked about what in Solomon's temple, which was a figure of Yahshua, coming at the end of this age, that is to say, revealing himself universally to all creatures as a, uh, a, a superincorporeal being, that the temple that was built to reflect a, a glorified structure, where the tabernacle was not a glorified structure, but the temple was, it was overlaid with gold on the outside, and it was put up on Mount Moriah at the top, now, Dr. Kinley said that when that sun was in its zenith shining down on that temple, that the reflection of that light was so magnificent that if you were standing down there at the bottom of Mount Moriah looking up at it, you wouldn't be able to stand to look at it. It would be too brilliant for your eyes to be able to gaze upon. He said, but now listen, he said, it won't bother you at all if you're in the temple. So what I want you to know is we are being made members of his body. We are being made ministers of fire. And Dr. Kinley also said this, and it's in your Bible, that when he appears, we know not what he shall be, as it's quoted, but we shall be like him. Now, Doc said that when he appears in all of his glory with that superincorporeal body, he said, you're going to be right there with him with the same body that he has a superincorporeal body. And it will consume the creation. And it will also be the, uh, if you will, the point where those souls that are not recipients of that spirit will have weeping and gnashing of teeth because they will now understand or realize that they have not been obedient to the gospel of Yahshua the Messiah that you read about in Thessalonians there. So this fire can be good and it can be evil. And the devil will take, and as Dr. Kinley put it like this, he said, now listen, he said, I'm raising up both mysteries sitting right down on a chair. The devil has taken the things the founder has taught 
and don't mistake this for one second, has corrupted it and presented it with a fiery uh, lecture and, 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 and preaching and taught the thing wrong and contradicted the founder of what he said and wants you to believe it and make you think that they have a high, high lofty understanding and that what they're saying is brilliant when in fact it's darkness. When in fact it's destruction and it's death. And that incense that they have taken, I see the five minute, that incense that they have taken, which is the preaching of this true gospel, and put it in the wrong so-called, the, the wrong vessel is using that. That's the devil and his angels. That is offering strange incense before Yahweh, and they will be destroyed at the end of this age. That's why it's so vitally important that we take this thing serious and make sure that when we get on the floor, we're taking a great responsibility to teach these people the truth, that we try to keep it as straight as possible and teach it the way the founder taught it. Now, any of us can make a mistake, and if we are sincere in our hearts, and we get up there and we teach something out of sincerity, and somebody shows you where that's wrong, you have to be humble enough to accept correction, because all of us are wrong about something. But when you are too worried about your own self-image, and worried about people not following you, or thinking highly of you, you will be corrupted, and you will corrupt them that follow you. And I'm telling you, you're not going to get away with it. Now, the trumpet is being sounded right now that the whole world lies in wickedness, that we're down to the end of an age. But the trumpet also has to be sounded that every one of us have to walk in this gospel, on this, in the straight and narrow of it, staying with the way the founder taught us to do it. And he told us, to, if it isn't in the Bible, don't teach it. If you can't back it up in the scriptures, you've got no business preaching it from the floor. And that's the requirement here for all of us. And so we don't want to be offering false doctrine. Offer on the floor what you have and show where you're getting it from back in the scriptures. And if you do that, it will be obviously recognized by people that that's not from Dennis, that's not from Reba, that's not from uh, Andy Vercotter, that's from Yahshua. Because he's the only one that knows the truth. Now, I want to say one last thing, because i got two minutes. The scripture reading tonight, where uh, he talked about how that if a righteous, if, a, if an evil man or a wicked man does wickedness all his days, and then turns from it, all of his wickedness will not be remembered. And that if a righteous man does righteous and turns from it, then all of his righteousness isn't going to be remembered. Now, years ago, we used to be told, it's not what you do, it's what you're found to be doing. So what you've done in the past isn't going to get you a, a, a pass if you all of a sudden turn away from this teaching and don't do the things that you've been told to do that the founder told us, and that is to stay connected to the gospel, to the, to the brethren, and to be a part of the preaching of the gospel and not walk away from this class. That's what we've all been commanded to do. Now, it doesn't matter how many things you did in the past, how many people you brought down the class, how many times you got on the floor. If you don't stay with it to the end, it will be forgotten. And if we've made mistakes and taken a hiatus in class and come back, that's going to be forgotten too. This is serious stuff, and if I don't know about you, but it scares 
me to the core, as Reba was talking about, to think that we might not be acceptable. We need to walk in the way that the founder advised us to walk down here right to the end. We need to take his advice, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to sober you and make you think very seriously about whether it's worth you losing your soul for something that you would rather be doing out there in the flesh. You've got to sit down and weigh the cost. And Yahshua talks about that in a parable. You've got to weigh the cost, whether you're willing to give up all things to be a servant and member of the body of Yahshua, to be a minister. So with those few words, I thank you for the opportunity. I would say uh, peace in Yahshua, love to all the brethren, and I'll hand it back to the moderator. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Volpe. We'd like to thank everyone for coming tonight and supporting our class. We hold uh, Zoom classes every Tuesday from 7 to 9. We have the in-person classes held on Friday, 7 to 9 at our Velpe Avenue location. Uh, we look forward to seeing everyone again. And I'd like to dismiss with a doxology taken from the last two verses of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time, now and ever. Hallelujah.